This is Tauri Talk, the podcast from the Scuderia Alpha Tauri Formula One team. Mega, mega race. And it's the third win of the season. Benito Freeze. Yes, yes, yes. Paradise, like traffic paradise. What is this one? Wait, what the f- is that? Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another season of Tauri Talk, the podcast where we bring you all the behind the scenes action from the Alpha Tauri Formula One team. I'm Joshy Admin, and today we are coming in strong for 2023, kicking off the new season with our brand new driver, Nick DeFries. Nick, welcome to the team, and also, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And as an added bonus, we've also brought in longtime Formula One performance coach, Piri Selmela. Piri, thanks for coming in. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure to be here, and good to see you, Josh, as well. Great to see you too. Appreciate that. Coming up on the show, we'll be hearing about Nick's career in motorsport up until this present moment, Piri's role in training drivers, getting some pointers from Piri and Nick on how to achieve your goals in 2023. And as a special treat, we'll put their mental and physical strength to the test. Let's get into it. Okay, it's been a couple of months since we last saw each other. It was in Abu Dhabi, I believe. Uh, Christmas party. I wasn't there. Huh? Yeah, I took a holiday to Australia, back home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Straight you from the- first. How, how was Australia? Did Australia was amazing. Any, did you do any surfing? I can't surf. You can't surf. I'm an, I'm an Aussie and I can't surf. Oui. What can Ouch. you do? I can body surf. I can swim body well. Surf. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just like I can stand body up and then I'm, I'm off straight away. Yeah. Mm. You're um, tall. I am very tall. Yeah. yeah so. But no, that's, that is on the list. I want to learn how to surf one day. But um, my holiday was more just relaxing, enjoying the beach, enjoying the sun, because obviously in Australia it's summer, so I escaped the winter. For how long? For four and a half weeks. Whoa. Yeah, I know, right? Whoa, that's a real holiday. What, what happened to your tan? Hey, what do you mean? Still here? When it done, when it done. <laughs> I mean, four and a half weeks. Uh, you know, spending time indoors, catching up with people. Yeah. That's my excuse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough about me. Let's start with you, Nick. How did you spend your winter break? It was great to come back home to the Netherlands. I haven't been home much in the past years, especially haven't really seen my friends through COVID and obviously saw a couple of them, but... Um, I never really got the whole group back together. We were kind of a, a group of 10 and uh, this was the first time in three years we were all back under the same roof. So it was really cool to just yeah be one of the guys again and, and just catch up with everyone, have a laugh and, and have a crazy night. So basically spent five or four days in the Netherlands catching up with everyone, catching up with family, friends, Christmas. And um, it was just a great time to be with the family. And then I left to Scotland, basically between Christmas and New Year's, spent my time there up until New Year's with another family. Just did lots of outdoor activities like hiking, shooting, horse riding. Did you get wet? Uh, yeah, we did. We, <laughs> we even bought like outdoor wear. Um, like the gumboots, we call them gumboots, but I think they call them galoshes there or something with the big... Oh, I just I just learned the term uh, Hockmany, which basically means New Year's Eve uh, in Scottish. But any of the other terms I haven't picked up on. It hasn't stuck yet. No, exactly. But we usually go skiing over Christmas, but this year I didn't really want to take the risk. But I was looking for some kind of active holiday because I enjoy that and I like the countryside. So that was a compromise, Scotland. And then basically from Scotland, um, I traveled straight to Dubai to meet Piri for um, pre-season prep. You are now one of 20 Formula One drivers and it's not an easy life. How much can you turn off during this off-season? Even though, yes, you didn't race this season, but there's a lot of things to prepare for physically, mentally, but also, you know, with the car and your engineers. How can you turn off and how long can you turn off for during a break? I don't think you can ever fully turn off. I think our industry, our sport is just uh, 24-7, especially during the winter break. Actually, the team in the factory is still up and running. So... During the summer break, we actually have a proper shutdown and we aren't able to communicate, email or call. And it's a real shutdown. But during the winter, that doesn't really exist. So naturally, that avoids a real shutdown. So I don't think you can actually fully shut off. But just being home, spending time with friends and family was for me enough to recharge and basically spend a bit of time away from the racing environment. But equally, as you touched on, there is a lot to 
to get ready for. There is a lot of work to do and I'm super excited to start this new chapter in my career and to live my dream. So I'm also very motivated to get on the job. Yeah, I can imagine that excitement building up as the season comes closer. Perry, I haven't forgotten about you and just by looking at you, you haven't taken any rest time, have you? I mean, you're just as big as ever. Um, I hope I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> Thank you for making my day. Very kind of you. That's what I try and do. But yeah, so besides obviously waking up at like 6, 6.30 and going to the gym, how did you unwind after what was one of our busiest seasons last year? Yeah, I would say like we finished our season, the, the prep before the new year on 20th of December, I think. Yeah, 20, I think you traveled to Dubai on the 20th. Yeah, and, and then I just... You know, after season, you usually you just close your door and you have me time. That's exactly what you need. You're, you need self-care. You need the routine. You need to have the good sleep, good food, social life, train well. And, you know, obviously I was super excited, Nick, coming over to Dubai and get ready for the season. Because so, you base yourself in Dubai now, right? Even though you're, you're Finnish. Yes. I, I've been touring around quite a lot so <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> so now we planted my mailbox to to do dubai and i'm very very happy about it it's been refreshing to see a little bit different lifestyle compared to european lifestyle so it's been that's now my third year as a resident in dubai so you invited nick of course to see your place see the crib and also do a bit of training Absolutely. So I thought about like, like for the off season, you need a place where you know your way around, you know, the facilities, also the weather helps, etc. So I just knew that in Dubai can provide such a world class facilities for us to get ready. And, and I was excited to invite Nick to our my home to see a little <laughs> bit that side of the world. So. so a lot of us saw on social media, the two of you getting into it. And I mean, getting into it by training hard. How different, Nick, is this physical preparation compared to seasons in the past? You know, we saw a video of you hitting a personal best deadlift already, and that was, what, week three into your training camp? Well, it's also because I never deadlifted <laughs> any PVs before. But and then you met Piri. <laughs> and then I met Piri, and he never skips leg day. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah. <laughs> it's very different. Basically, my journey up until Formula 2, I've always been quite committed on training, and I enjoy training always trained with uh, a coach. But then when I moved into Formula E away from Formula 2, Formula 1, the, the necessity of being fit just becomes less important. And uh, suddenly a lot of other things become more important in life. You just prioritize according to what is most important for the performance on track. And um, frankly speaking, in the past two, three years, I've mainly been exercising how I like joining gym classes for fun and I mean, I've always been active and, and training, but never really with a routine. So basically joining Piri has, has changed that massively. And I think that the importance of being physically prepared uh, for Formula One is crucial. It's not important, but it's crucial. Uh, so I'm very happy that I have Piri alongside me. He has a lot of knowledge and experience in the sport. He's been with the team for many years and, and he knows exactly what it takes and requires to be ready for Formula One. And I'm very you know, happy that he can guide me and prepare me for that. And um, I fully trust him to, to the job. So um, yeah, I, I uh, well, we, I was going to say he takes me through the pain, but actually when we go through proper pain, we share it, which is very, very kind of him. That's what you want a coach to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lead by example. Yeah. You know, I always say, okay, I'm hard, but I also be, I'm fair. Right, <laughs> that's the, I, I can I cannot deny that's 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 untrue. Yeah, every painful interval session or every very heavy session we've had, we've definitely done together. So um, that's been encouraging. But the preparation has been very different to any other season prior to this. And actually, I'm I'm loving it. I love living like an athlete, putting the work, the time into our preparation, and just giving everything we have to achieve the best possible outcome together. Yeah, I think you're the envy of many of thousands of people who just want to train and be the best person they can and just have that goal in mind of like, I need to be the best I can to drive this car. Exactly that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you almost had a choice or you had a preference in, in trainer when, the, when, you got the, when you signed for the team. Am, am I wrong in that? Did you have a say that you wanted Piri? Um, well, I think I've been privileged enough that Piri 
chose me. <laughs> Piri is a very, very <laughs> well respected coach in the industry, so he, I think, he had the oh, okay. uh, privilege to decide his the trainer destiny. chooses the athlete. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. DeVries. Little <laughs> <laughs> sort of Harry Potter reference for, for those who, who didn't click. Um, no, I, th I think it was kind of meant to be. Uh, it just worked out very well. Obviously, Pierre has been with Pierre for for many years, and Pierre was going into a new chapter in his career. And I think um, on their behalf, they were also both motivated to look at a different direction in in their next chapter. And for me, I was always my first priority would always be to work with Pierre when I was joining Alphatar because I knew he's been around with the team for many years, and again, he has a a lot of experience and is very well respected. So that was definitely my first uh, priority on the list. Guys, you've been super kind to me. I'm really taken. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to jump Flatter. in whatever you want and, yeah. re and return the favor. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what does a typical day look like in the pre-season training camp? Because, okay, you mentioned you're in Dubai. Weather's great, but it's not just training for an hour in the morning and going to the pool for eight hours after it, is it? I must say, after the pre-season, I felt a little bit sorry for you because you didn't see Dubai at all. No, nothing. Like the, fir the first week, I didn't even exit my room. I literally, we just trained, did some work on the laptop, trained, ate, and that was, that was it. That was it. You know, after all, you know, like if you're really trying to hit that peak preparation, you know, that lifestyle is quite ascetic. It's pretty much you eat, sleep, you train, you repeat. Uh, but you did get out and do a little bit. We saw, we saw the football match. Of course, we did some kind of fun activities with Yuki and Pierre, but, you know, we did one football match and, and one paddle match in two and a half weeks' time. But it's, it's really true what, what Piri said. We, ultimately, you're there to get ready for the season and you're not there to be on holiday. It was not a holiday. That was not the purpose of my visit. So apart from those two activities, we didn't see anything else from Dubai. Obviously, we had a great facilities all around and it was... We had some very kind friends that were helping us out and, and making sure that we had the best possible environment to get ready. So the bottom line I'm taking here is don't come to Piri for travel advice in Dubai because he's just going <laughs> to sit down in the gym. <laughs> I think that's very fair. <laughs> Nick. Nick, you are now one of 20 Formula One drivers on the grid. And I'm sure you're getting pretty good at telling the story of your journey. Uh, yes, I've been repeating it yeah. quite many times now. Well, think of this as one last exam because we want to know everything from junior single-seater categories to your Formula E World Championship, even to you getting the call to say that you're going to be a Formula 1 driver for 2023. So you can even start back to your Karting World Championship wins. You won back-to-back Karting World Champions, am I right? Mm -hmm, that's right. I'm actually, to, to make my debut in Formula 1, I'm one of the older guys. So I've walked quite a long journey to get here. Obviously, like every young driver, my career started in karting. actually grew up with many of the current drivers on the grid. I feel like I'm kind of part of their generation. We had a very successful time in karting. We won a European Championship and two consecutive World Championships signed with McLaren. At the time, I think the timing was really good because Lewis just made uh, his debut in Formula One and that was obviously a very successful story. And therefore, a lot of Formula One teams were kind of interested in, in young drivers and to scout at a young age to, to kind of replicate a similar uh, success story. So at that time, we were very successful in karting and uh, through our success, we were in touch with different management companies, Formula One teams, and we ended up signing with, with McLaren. And they kind of been with me for majority of my career up until a later point in 2017-18. But the first kind of years in cars were a little bit, I'd say, tougher. I think they were still good in terms of performance, but because the expectations were so high, I probably could never do it good enough. And... Yeah, it took a little bit longer to get up to speed. I think physically I was also quite underdeveloped. I was a late bloomer, so I was 17, but my probably body was 14. But I got going and um, eventually won Formula Renault, finished third in Formula Renault 3.5, which was at the time the equivalent of Formula 2. And then I ended up in, in GP3, and that was probably my toughest season in, in single-seater racing in, in 16. And at the end of that year, the management at McLaren changed, and... 
I kind of lost their financial backing. And from that year onwards, I was really going into a, a tough time because basically I didn't have any way of continuing my career forward because there was no financial backing anymore and I didn't know yeah, how to, how to continue. So I ended up testing DTM with Audi, tested with Ferrari and GTE and strongly considering to make a move away from my dream and goal, which was obviously Formula One. But then towards the, the, the first test of the Formula Two season, like literally a week before the first test, it still all kind of came together. And with help from Ricardo Galal, yeah, I managed to um, turn up at the first test in Formula Two. Uh, Rapax at the time was very committed to have me in the team and they yeah, really helped to make that happen. But it was only a third of the budget and I knew it was kind of going to be tough to end the season. But it put me in a position to be with Prema the following year, which was a, a good season. I think if it was not for a few of my own mistakes, we would have been able to finish uh, yeah, P2 or P3. I think we had very good pace. We won a good amount of races, but I just made a little bit too expensive mistakes, especially in Formula 2 when you have the feature and sprint race. It can uh, ruin a weekend. It can ruin a weekend. And two times we were fighting for the win and we crashed fighting for the win. And that means you basically lose two weekends. Uh, and then the top three, George, Lando and, and Alex promoted to Formula One and I finished fourth and, and didn't. And in all honesty, I just look at myself because I feel like it was my own mistake um, that, that I wasn't able to score more points. Uh, I think we definitely had the pace and we have more wins than people in front of us, but I just lost too many points in situations wherein we were actually able to score big points. But luckily, ART and myself got back together to get a revenge on our year in 16 in GP3. And then it all came together. We, we won the championship and Mercedes was at the time building a new team in Formula E. I moved away from McLaren because I didn't really see it was leading to anything, uh, even if I would win Formula 2. And then I started doing some simulator work at Mercedes and, and that's how our kind of working relationship started and that's how I ended up in um, in Formula E. It's interesting that you mentioned that you were able to identify that you yourself made mistakes in your second year in Formula 2 that cost you a top three finished. And so how did you sort of change that in your following year once you joined ART and win the championship? So my first season, as I explained for me, was not a real season. That was not, I didn't have a real chance to fight for anything. It was all about surviving and just making sure... I stay alive in single-seater racing, which we succeeded. And then my second year, which was actually my first kind of real year, I was able to fight for something. I felt like I just put too much, not necessarily pressure on myself, but I didn't deal uh, well enough with the pressure from, from, let's say, the team. Because I was at Prema, they just won two championships with uh, Pierre and Charles, and their expectations were just to win and dominate. And I recall a moment which I already shared with Piri that in Bahrain, after the first quality, we were P4, which, you know, in Formula 2, if you are in top seven, you're always good because you have a feature race, a sprint race. It's all about consistency. And I got back to the team and, and they literally told me, you know, if we lose the championship for this poll, it's your fault. Jeez. And, uh, and no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and that just got me. And, and that kind of, that was the environment you know, it was at the time and, and I just didn't deal with that well enough. In Baku, race one, I was fighting with George for the win and after the safety car restart, I, I kind of went for it and we both went off, didn't score any points instead of finishing second or first feature race. And I was too scared to come back to the garage. I literally left into the town and just went to sit, cry on a, on a little bench in the middle of Baku. And I texted my trainer at the time, basically asking when they needed me back. And I just left for like one and a half hours because I was too scared to get back. And that kind of internal pressure, I didn't deal with it well enough. And I addressed that. I, I, I realized it. And then moving towards AAT, we obviously talked a lot about my experience, what I've gone through. And uh, I think they were very supportive and we were very focused on scoring points. Whereas in 2018, it was all about winning rather than winning a championship it was just about winning and of course it is all about winning but to win a championship you need to be 
consistent up there. So Formula 2 finishes, you're a champion, but there's no often seat available. So you go off and you start racing multiple different categories. You hit European Le Mans, Formula E, world champion, and 24 hours of Le Mans as well. Yeah, even whack a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, actually in 2018, I already started to race a little bit in WEC, so in my year with Prama and Formula 2. I, I personally believe in driving. Like in our sport, we don't really race or don't really drive. We only get to race during race weekends, but outside race weekends, we don't actually exercise our sport. In any other sport, they are practicing every day on the court, every day on the pitch. And that was just something that I was missing. So I believed in kind of diversifying driving multiple cars to be driving. And I think that helped me to become a more complete driver. It also helped to change my approach and perspective a little bit because I've always been a very, very much of a perfectionist and want everything to be perfect or or go into a lot of detail. And in endurance racing, it's always a compromise because you're with three drivers, you know, starting from the seating position, it's a compromise, the setup, the balance, the decisions, the strategy, it's not all about you, it's about the best team result. And I think that helped me to learn and see the big picture and to focus on whatever brings performance and not to get lost in unnecessary details that don't really do anything. What would you say you enjoyed more, sports car racing or do you like the open-wheeled? I, I would call Formula E open-wheeled, right? Oh, yes, yeah. single seat, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I like to be challenging and demanding and I wouldn't settle for just either of them I would always want a combination of both because I really love both championships but I think what endurance racing doesn't provide is the pressure the pressure to deliver in that single moment and I think as a racing driver you need to feel that pressure consistently to remain on top of your game in endurance racing it's all about your averages and being consistently quick which is good but I think it's important to continue to feel that pressure to to chase that edge all the time. Otherwise, over time, you just get slower. On the other hand, in single-seater racing, or at least in, in Formula E, you don't do that many events, and the events are quite short. On top of that, the cars are not very fast. So I think you, you miss some of the real racing sensations. So I, I wouldn't be able to choose, and I would always try to do a combination of both. Okay, so fast forward to Monza 2022. Alex Albon becomes sick and you step in as the reserve driver, having only done just a handful of practice sessions with various teams throughout the year. How did that come about? Like, was it a late call up? Yeah, so I was, I was in Monza anyway. To give you a, f- a little bit more background story, there was a, a WEC race in Fuji that weekend. And um, I had an opportunity to race for a team which would provide me, uh, well, an opportunity to fight for the victory. And actually, I was very keen to go to Fuji because... I would be racing and I knew that going to Monza, I wouldn't be racing. Well, in theory, on paper, you're not racing. On paper, I'm not racing. But um, obviously we committed to several FP1s and yeah, it just happened to be a better allocation for everyone for me to do Monza FP1 with Aston. So instead of racing in Fuji, I was doing the FP1 with Aston, which was obviously great as well. Friday night, I was very relaxed. I went down to Mercedes after my FP1 stayed until midnight at the track with the engineers, just chatting about their FP1, chatting about my FP1. I went back to the hotel. Mind you, normally I'm always in bed by latest 10.30, sleeping at 11. Worst right. case. Yeah. So it's that, a work weekend. It's a work weekend. So that evening, I, you know, I was super relaxed. Like kind of my weekend is done. I did my FP1, chilling. Come to the track the next morning and I had a, a pedal club appearance at like 10, 10.30, and it was still quite empty. So rather than speaking in front of a crowd, I just went to sit with some guests, ordered a cappuccino, and then James Wells rings up and, and says, yeah, can you come down to uh, the Mercedes office? You, you, you might be racing for, for Williams. And I was like, I, I just couldn't understand what he, he just said. I thought he was talking about you know the future, like maybe the following season or yeah. I don't know what. I, I just didn't get it. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, there's something happening, you might be racing. I was like, okay, I'll come down. So I was obviously fully hyped and, and nervous at the same time. Went down to Mercedes, all the engineers are like cheering for me. I was like, calm down, guys, let's just hold on a second. Walked down to Williams, understand what the problem was. Uh, sadly, Alex was 
brought into hospital overnight because of appendicitis. And then um, it wasn't sure whether I was going to race or not. But like 20 minutes later in the pre-FP3 meeting, it, it kind of became clear that I, I was going to the weekend. And from that moment, I didn't left the engineering office and, and the garage. So we know the story there. You have a successful debut in Formula One. You finish in the points. And fast forwards to our story where it doesn't take too long to get on the Red Bull radar and sign with AlphaTauri for 2023. How did that come about? Because we, I think there are stories that maybe Max told you to even call Dr. Marco. Yeah, we, we had dinner together on the Monday night to kind of uh, celebrate his win and celebrate my uh, debut. So it was nice to, to kind of share that moment with him. And we obviously talked about the future and opportunities. And I think the most important what I took away from that dinner was that I was still very much perceived publicly as a Mercedes driver, which I was up until the end of 22. And I think it was important for me to clarify that I was part of Mercedes until the end of 22. So I think it was good for me to basically make my situation clear in order to not miss out on potential opportunities. And that's how it went. Was there a call? Or you- yeah, yeah. And then later that week, I ended up traveling to Austria. Meet with the big bosses and impress them in person as well. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> you know, that's exactly the thing about Nick, which helped me to get up to speed that you can see that he's well educated in the field of motorsport. I would say he's done a pretty big master degree in, in motorsport before <laughs> coming to F1. And that really has helped me as well to get up to speed quickly. Piri, we're going to move on now to a bit more of your side of the story. You trained Pierre for about five years since 2017, yes. since he entered the sport. Um, and now you've got a new challenge ahead of you in preparing Nick for his first Formula One season. So if you want to tell us a bit about your background before we get into the relationship of you coaching Nick. So, you know, the funny thing is that like when I started with Pierre, I was thinking like, I wish I knew this 2014 when I started with Danny. So let's go back then. You, you came into Formula One the same time Danny Kvyat did. Yes. And you know, it was a, like a dip in the deep ocean because I was coming from a different sport. Yeah, which was? Which was ice hockey. Yeah. I was a striving athlete. I think I was a better athlete than, than an ice hockey player after all. You know, and then I think the drive for coaching for me started by willing to understand what went wrong. You oh, okay. know, so, yeah, yeah. so quite selfish. But then when I matured, then, then I started understanding that actually I can really, really help these youngsters to not to repeat the same mistakes. And, and that led me to coaching in ice hockey first. And then uh, there's a lot to thank to, to Antti Vierla, who is the coach for Bottas. Uh, we used to live in the same town in a sport institute where we were studying, working and being an athlete. So, and he hinted about me to Aki Hintza my former boss at Hinza Performance. And that's where everything started really by coincidence. There was really never the plan to be in motorsport, but it's been a happy coincidence for the last 10 years now. Classified as a veteran now. Yeah, so, <laughs> but, but at the same time, when I started with Nick, I thought the same thing. Like, I wish I knew what I know now five years ago. Well, so, that, that was leading into my next question because yes. you jumped into the deep end with yes. Danny. Yes, You're both Very new, much. like, you yeah. know, he's an up-and-comer. You've seen this kind of athlete before in ice hockey. Yeah. So you need to sort of adapt your learnings from your past into Formula One. And, and I must say, like, it took me because I really think the world of motorsport is a very unique sport with this very diversified elements of human performance and also like the, the dynamics in, in motorsport is very different to many other traditional field-based sports, for example, because you have so many different types of stakeholders. So it really took me quite a while to get on top of my game to understand what this sport is all about. After all, that's where everything starts. You've seen multiple athletes come and go, and you've also been in the sport for 10 years. What's changed? You know, I think at the start, I wasn't very confident because it was such an unknown field for me. So I thought first, of like, what can I actually do here? Like, the paddock uh, also is daunting. There's yeah, a lot of people around who yeah. are... You know, been so, there a long time. Exactly. So I think I would have just really been boosting myself. Like you really got this, you know, you really, you really have the tools for helping these athletes. But like I always say, you can't buy experience. Simple as that. The skills comes first before the experience. Would you agree? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, 
everyone needs time to mature. And nowadays, everyone is so young that everyone is expected to be ready, you know, at a very young age. But ultimately, everyone is fast. But to be consistently successful and performing requires different assets. And I think those assets partly come with experience. So you touched on it before. Your longest period was with Pierre. And it was a, a successful one. Yep. Now you've come to a mutual ending after he signed his new chapter with Alpine and you're staying with us. Yes, so obviously... We're I'm, happy. <laughs> I, I'm obviously also I'm super happy for Pierre for getting his next chapter and I'm really looking forward to see how he's going to excel there. I'm sure he's got the toolkit to, to, to succeed. Uh, at the same time, you know, it was a good timing for both of us to, to take a new challenge and, and, and now we have a new exciting talent, well-educated talent yes we've seen you know. <laughs> <laughs> but i still, wanted to touch still on never that. went to yeah. school yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't know it you wouldn't know it um just to touch on this yeah like it, from your side obviously a, a conversation has to happen yes you can see that there's a new challenge ahead of you yeah. and he's already had his he's going to a new team new car and everything do you just sort of both agree saying you know what i think we both know i've taken you far enough i personally need to redevelop my motivation for someone different and i believe i can help someone more does it land in that kind of area? The change was somewhat unexpected, some way. It did come a bit quick after the whole. Yeah. yeah. So, so Lonzo leaving. So that kind of gave an opportunity. Like, do we go left or do we go right? And it kind of started molding in in, in the heads, but it really happened naturally. Like, That's like, good to hear, though. Like, like that. Now it's a good time to look right and you left. Yeah. And what's the best, we, we both remain as a good friends. I was just going to say, the relationship is far from over yeah. because he's still messaging you and being competitive as ever, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> I, I, I met him in Dubai and, and, and he said, you know what, I, I saw the Nick deadlifting got me so, so motivated. You know, next day I went to the gym and he hit big numbers. And what it did to me, I couldn't sleep all night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, next still morning, him. and then, you know, next morning I was, I was, I felt, like very tired and then I then I remembered bling bling ah that's what he said I, I, I got up like a grenade yeah. <laughs> so even without being there you're still you're still affecting his performance yeah. whilst training yeah you training's know. good so how do, how do you implement this competitiveness into your own lifestyle and training drivers like, is it something that you help fuel their hunger or do you have to manage it in a way I would almost land uh, land it to Nick how do you feel how does it transfer I think Piri is the kind of, uh, without flattering him too much, but... Yeah, he's uh, already had a lot, yeah, of, oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of compliments today. Yeah, but Piri also wants to be the best in his field and at his job. So he wants to be the best coach, but he also wants to be the fittest coach. And I think having that mindset and that approach automatically translates to the athlete because it sets a kind of example. And I think every athlete is different. Everyone is... We talked about this earlier today, actually. Uh, everyone has different skills, different qualities, different weaknesses. So you, you walk your own path, but those kind of values still remain very important. But then I think everyone achieves them in a slightly different way. So someone might be very driven by the pure competitiveness or someone else have something else that drives them. And I think Piri is really good at reading the, the athlete and the person who he's working with to address how to take the most out of them. You know, because ultimately I always say it's not about what I think is right. It's about how do we get the most out of the athlete. And naturally I'm, I could say that I'm pretty damn competitive person in myself. I, I, it I must still, help. Yeah, you know, like I have the athlete mindset. The only thing what's a big difference is it's not about me anymore. It's about them. But it's good that you have that background because yeah. that's probably what's fueling but, but this competitiveness. Yes, absolutely. And, and I must say, when I did the transition, this actually took me quite some time to understand that it wasn't about me anymore. It was about someone else. And that's w what we are here for. To get, you really like maximize their potential. And, and that's actually what also drives me, pushing the limits and, and getting a little bit crazy at times, right? <laughs> <laughs> not afraid to push the boundaries <laughs> <laughs> so i've heard so i'm happy to hear that you're both incredibly competitive because you're both very fit and you're strong mentally i want to put these attributes to the tests so we're going to go down the hole to the gym 
And I want to challenge the two of you, both mentally and physically, with one simple challenge. You guys up for I'll it? I'll have a little bit of a Red Bull then. You Just might need it. <laughs> I might take a little so bigger you, sip. Yeah. You guys fill yourselves up and um, we'll pick the challenge up from the company gym. Okay, guys, we've moved to the company gym just down the hall. We're going to do a fitness challenge and I want to see essentially, Nick, how successful the training camp was. It's a small, quick challenge, but it's going to test both your physical strength and your mental strength. You're familiar with a wall sit? Yes. Fantastic. All right. So we're going to do a wall sit and we're going to play the word association game. Okay. I'll start you off the word. Yeah. The last letter of that word you'll have to find another word to associate with. Uh-huh. And the topic will be motorsport, just to make it a little bit more difficult. Okay. Just to give you an I example. it was already difficult. Yeah, exactly. I know, right? And you guys are professionals. How do we know we, when, how do we win? I'll be the judge of how quick you respond to the words. Yeah. But as you know, wall sits are not that easy. No. So whoever fails the wall sit first, or whoever misses a word, I'm going to give you maybe five seconds to, to think of a word. Is that fair? Five seconds. I think, no, everything about motorsport is not fair at all. Oh, you got bigger quads. <laughs> yeah. Just as an example for everyone listening, we could start with a food topic. The first word could be banana, and you could say apple because it's ended in A. Uh-huh. Okay, but we're doing motorsport. Uh, so the last letter has to be... Continued on to the new word. Yeah, right. Okay. okay. Start with me. Start with me. Okay. <laughs> but no, I'll start with the word, and then, yes, Nick, you can start next. Yeah. So... We are ready, we're, we're limbered. All right, let's get into a squat hold, a wall sit. We 90 degrees. Nick, a bit further, let's get yeah. 90. All right, I think we're good. Three, two, one. The first word is circuit. Nick, go. Circuit, track. So what do you mean? K. K. Aldo, kinematics. Uh, so it's just any word. Yeah. Oh, no, with related to motorsport. Okay. What you, you, you know, this is all his strategy. He kills me before we even start. Like, what the hell? I think he should be minus two already. Yeah, yeah Piri, you're in the back foot. Come on. All right. Let's think of a word starting with S related to motorsport. Let's go. S. S. Speed? No, I'm kidding. No. Speed works. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, delta. Aerodynamics. Pardon? Aerodynamics. Aerodynamics. Slow. Oh, that's a quite difficult one. Um, World Championship. I'll take that. World Championship. Um, We're looking for P. P. Peretti. Good one. Imola. Oh. Um, now I start. Getting now, now you start getting into the rhythm. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm, I'm basically minor. <laughs> How are the quads feeling, guys? Period yeah. seems like he's on a holiday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> off the tower. Perfect. Uh, I'll give you five seconds, and if you don't have one, I go now. One, two, three. Hey guys, a very quick five seconds. Five. I. I was very... IndyCar. Yeah, IndyCar, exactly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Nick has jumped off the wall. He's running around the gym. Piri, come on, you can get up now. So we've got a clear definition here. We've got a good mentality here to yeah. deal with the pain, but also think of motorsport related. Okay, yes, you've grown up with motorsport all your life. But it just shows that the physical aspect is also important in this challenge. Very much. Who do you think won this? I think... I Winter. I'm not used to think while, while I'm exercising. They no, you got, you got up to speed, and it's unfair because it's motorsport related as well, so we draw. We draw. We draw. We keep the happiness. <laughs> You're making me doubt your competitive disguise, but I'll take it. All right, let's continue this back in the studio. So, now that we're fully warmed up and we've put the body and the mind to the test, Piri, I'm going to start this one with you. What do you think is your biggest weakness? Like physical and mental. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all. It's not all. Where, where do we start? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Nick's got some ideas. I, I must admit that the, the ego is a devil at times. You know, yeah, okay. it, it sometimes it takes the mind a little bit running far. <laughs> <laughs> that comes partly, I guess, with this com- competitive mindset 
that it's just the drive just overdrives. And and what what is it to what kind of mistakes or failures does that weakness lead you to? The fact is that that we all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? And many times our strengths becomes our weaknesses when they start overdominating, right? I I personally think my biggest strength is equally uh, my my biggest weakness. Managing your strength but not overdoing it is something that I've addressed and learned over the years. But obviously, you still risk to sometimes you know make mistakes. But kind of managing that is probably my biggest challenge to avoid making mistakes. And and what is your biggest th- weakness? What are you what are you classifying that as? I think my commitment and determination, but also my perfectionism is is a, is a great asset and a strength, but equally a weakness because when you go too far you you lose focus and you get lost in the kind of detail and that's when you you aren't able to focus but also to basically your 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 will is paralyzing your intuition and your talent and your feeling because racing is still very much about feeling and and intuition so when you're in the car you got to be free your mind got to be free to you know drive with your feeling and if you're too kind of if you are too keen and if you want it too much and you just overdo things and you're overthinking then that is paralyzing your feeling and then obviously that's that's hurting your performance and i could really relate to nick when i was younger i was always overthinking i was really afraid of doing mistakes after i realized that i'm doing shit loads of mistakes <laughs> <laughs> so I just everyone gotta, makes them yeah, so yeah. I just gotta get on with it yeah. and, you know <laughs> but, but the challenging bit is equally if you look at a lot of successful people in different industries I think the attention to detail is something that also pops out in in many of them so that's why the balance is so you know fine when you look at the last dance of Michael Jordan he was hammering the details of his teammates to push everyone to the limit non-stop but he was a machine and living legend but that balance is very fine because you got to be you know demanding and you got to be pushing all areas to basically you know be successful but if you go too far then it can be um, going against you that's very true because you know like after all like having the strength at paying attention to detail is a pure strength after all on the other hand it's like uh, the thing is that like when you're executing your skills that's almost like subconscious there's a lot of autonomy and efficiency if you're thinking every action of you're doing you're creating delay yeah, and it's in sport there's a lot about timing so it's a really fine line and just for fun humor me because people need to know you're both not perfect Far what from. Is, yeah so what is your biggest physical weakness stiff Stiff, just stiff. Your nobility, flexibility, not really there. <laughs> I can relate. I'm I'm, I'm six four, yeah. And you know, it's for a tall man just putting down, tying up my shoes. I get it. You know, sometimes with the racket sports, I never really mastered the 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 the, the hit. You know, I was yeah. just running like a rabbit around, like just super <laughs> excited because I was always quite fit. You know, like yeah. <laughs> But really, really to master the, yeah. the, the forehand or the backhand, and I always sucked. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> not, he, like, like, not like big time. But you like, got competitive yeah, with, yeah, with Pierre towards yeah, the end. Like yeah, a, yeah. I mean, well, we, we were quite equal. Yeah. I would say Pierre was winning a little bit more often than me, but... It's okay, he's probably we, not yeah. going to listen to this, so you can say you won more, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in all honesty, doing a lot of different activities, I... I basically brutally realized that I have very little talents other than driving around in circles. Mm-hmm. So I better be, you know, good at this and making the most of it because uh, I certainly wouldn't be in a, a tennis or a football player. Yeah, I must turn the gesture to, to Nick. Like he's one of his strengths is the learning capability. And I always say it's not what's not important, how good you are now, what's right. important, how good you can become. So we, we picked up boxing in our off-season camp and, and he was learning really, really quick. And so I think that's a real strength of Nick as well. So when you're starting with a new driver, obviously part of your job is to identify strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, you would split it between professional and personal. Like personally, you actually just start to getting know each other. 
and what is the basis for it is is trust and respect and trust and respect is not given it's earned so it's really about learning how he him as a personality then professionally you you start profiling them you start looking those different elements of human performance and you start building the athlete profile then you compare it to actual sports and then because you always ha- going to fight with the time so what are the key areas what are how many elements we are focusing on in the next stage mm-hmm. what are the imp- most important ones again we come what nick said what's the most important things for him to excel in his sport and then you start i guess creating a structure with this absolutely how do you get into good habits like you need to structure a plan for nick but just about everyday life how do you structure good habits i always say you have to create a system around you you just it's something very simple that is just very repeatable. Okay, but how do I take the first step of creating the system? Show up. I'm, I'm, show up. Show up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was going to say it's 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 not maybe encouraging to hear, but it all starts with you. You need to want it. It's ultimately a decision to wake up in the morning to make yourself a healthy breakfast rather than no breakfast or a quick unhealthy one. It's still your decision to wake up earlier prior work to go to the gym or to go to the gym after work. And of course there are long days and there are thousands of excuses to not do it, but to turn up and to make the decision to do it is ultimately the only way to, to progress and to hit hit those goals. Hit those goals. Exactly. Yeah. I would say like, if we go a little bit deeper on it, like why many people struggle with it, Mm -hmm. they lacking the purpose. Why am I showing up there? You need to have the purpose that's even a little bit deeper than a goal because goal can be like um, lose five, ten kilos. Purpose is why am I doing this for? Who am I doing this for? For myself. I would say when you have a strong purpose, then it likely become a sustainable one. Because then it's easy. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice or a must do. You know why you want to do it. So you turn up. Yeah, like I always say is that, that being fit mentally or physically is not a destination. It's, it's a lifestyle, way of living. To put it into a nice little neat package, what are some healthy life tips that you incorporate into like your day that anyone can do themselves to help with their productivity? Do you have a little top tips? Maybe start tracking some of your activities, your sleep, your activity. I think it can be quite motivating to see what you're doing because it's a kind of um, reference for you where you are, but also to kind of have a reference to to improve from. You can track your steps, you can track your sleep and just starting to look at those numbers and comparing them with your friends to see what they do is already helping you to get better at those lifestyle targets. And Piri? You know, for me, I've done like deals within myself you know like for me exercising you know there's so many days that i don't feel like going to work out but you know it's just non-negotiable it's part of my way of living i just get it done and and i just build the priorities in my day what i want to achieve my day you know i want to eat a good breakfast just to be the, the avocado of the devil here i mean it's obviously also your lifestyle to be the best coach and trainer uh, there is and it's obviously being a trainer it's it's mm. part of your your life yes, right. because there are many other people that have yeah. normal jobs and it, yeah. you know they have many other things to worry about and they don't have the time and flexibility to just suddenly take one hour away from that day for physical uh, yeah. activity so how do you encourage them to look after themselves you know i always been trying to follow the motto be the best you and if that doesn't motivate you enough, you have your loved ones. Be the best for them. That's deep. That's deep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, we're almost out of time. So just before we wrap this up, I want to know your goals for 2023. So looking ahead, what would you consider a successful first season together? I would say already, like for me, this part, of getting ready for the season was one of the main goals already for the year is like really make Nick confident and ready to jump in a car and having the resilience and the performance over the season. And then this was one of the main goals for me for the season already. Make him 
robust, resilient, and and motivated. Yeah, I think you, the the year is almost built up in blocks, and in each block has a kind of goal and target. And I think the past months, we obviously very much lived towards the start of the Formula One season, and the biggest kind of part of that preparation was our physical preparation, and we've invested a lot of time and effort into that. I think we've done very well. I feel very ready. I think we are ready. And now we'll have to start building towards the new goals. Soon we'll be out in the car for the first time for a private test. We'll have a Pirelli tire test and then we go out to Bahrain for the first time to try the new car. And then I think from there on we will learn where we are and what we need to do to become more competitive. But to talk a little bit in numbers, obviously we hope to be competitive enough to be consistently fighting in the points. That's what we're all here for and I think that's what we should be striving for. To finish off, how do you measure the success? It's not that easy because there's a lot of unknowns. It's a it's a first season for Nick and, and there will be highs and there will be lows and there will be a lot of learning and steep learning curve. But I'm super excited about this upcoming season and I'm very, very confident. But at the same time, I'm looking forward to those both highs and lows because those both ends are teaching us a lot. And Nick, just finally, how do you want to see yourself come Abu Dhabi? Well, I think it's we can we can give a very nice, long, politically correct answer. But I've learned in racing that ultimately everything comes down to to performance, and the only way our performance is really measured is obviously through results and and the stopwatch ultimately. However, being realistic and having taken that in account, you know there are a lot of factors that play into that final outcome but how is it measured obviously through yeah the classification okay well that's all the time that we have for today's show many thanks once again to nick and piri for coming in and giving us their valuable time during a busy pre-season guys thank you so much for coming in thank you just thank you very much real pleasure pleasure was mine for everyone listening at home make sure you subscribe to tarry talk on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and listen back to all the previous episodes as much as you want Plus, you'll get all the episodes as they drop. So what's not to like? Until next time, it's bye for now.